The following is a fan-made reading of the Pale Web Serial novel by J.C. McRae. It describes extra material published after chapter 4.10, and contains spoilers for that chapter. The original text can be found at palewebserial.wordpress.com. If you'd like to donate to the author, please go to patreon.com slash Thank you for listening. 4.10 Spoilers Spell Notes, number 3 People at school keep giving us flack for having really basic diagrams. Sticks and stones and stuff. Some of what we've encountered includes... Heraldric. Heraldic? A type of marker that is used by enchanters and other toolmaking practices like doll makers. Thick, decorated borders stresses stuff like patterns and colors. Not really for fancy practice stuff where you want to have a lot of moving parts. Instead, they set the table for other work, Miss Grobard's words. To do something more complex, you want to have a bunch of diagrams that each act like workstations or power tools. For example, one to shape, one to temper, one to refine, one to infuse, and one to seal. A lot of the time, effort goes into making these diagrams really fancy. Cut stone with a rim of gold, marble, all fit together with zero gaps. Obviously, lots of effort to make. Not portable. Hard to draw on the fly if, like, a guy is trying to eat you. I asked what happens if you do leave a gap where the diagram fails. Apparently, the thick, usually inwardly pointed, see the nebuli border and the thing I clipped out, or at least neutral border, like the potency border in the tempering diagram on the next page, usually restrains the damage. Only the object breaks, or whatever. Usually. As an example, Verona has taped in a complex diagram. It's reminiscent of a round shield, the outer border rimmed with a stout anvil pattern in black. This is apparently the nebuli border she was referring to. In green and white, the branches of four large snowflakes define each other in the background, the edges of the green matching the edges of the white. The snowflakes are cut off by the border of the diagram, too big to fit such that only four branches between the four flakes are unobscured by the rest of the circle's patterns. Finally, in the center is a black eight-pointed star, or flower, its points similar to a spade from a deck of playing cards. The design is encircled again, so the very tips of the spades escape. The inside enclosed is green, obscuring the background snowflake pattern, and at the center of the black star is a white dot. Because they don't have a lot of moving parts and use a bit of power to channel important forces, we can draw them and they won't come to life on the page. Benefits is they are really good at focusing on cent a central subject, manipulating lots of power, and changing, or changing the properties of, things that usually don't change that much, like stone, or wood, or metal. Tempering Diagram, from Tress Hager's Forged Hearts, Burn out the extra crap, reinforce whatever isn't burned away. Beginner stuff. Verona has taped in beside it a printout of the potency circle with cross of eight sun at center from 4.5 bedtime reading extra material. An ornate plus sign with plumed tips circled thrice with the outmost circle outlined with ten short T's, the hats of which don't curve with a circle. Color associations are really important. Mrs. Gerbar didn't really dive into that. She asked me to go with my gut when I tempered my scissors, and I chose lavender and gray. She said that was fine. That purple tends to mean stuff is important, or royal, or special. 
I see myself as weird, and maybe a very light purple-pink is the Weiner kind of special that fits. Bold colors are apparently better for tables and things an enchanter wants to use long-term. Tomato red, Persian blue, gold, yada yada. Some families have colors and symbols they prefer, and spirits learn to recognize them by these things. When setting the table for enchantment work or other object manipulation, where you set the table can matter. Red means something different if the diagram is indoors versus outdoors. I asked about connecting the diagrams to other kinds, like surrounding it in something elemental. Grabard says it's hard because the border is thick. Might have to do a Pisces symbol link. Embattled border. Firm, bold border or reinforcing element. A common feature of enchantment diagrams. And while Mrs. Graubard didn't really say so, I got the impression it's the default, when another enchantment element isn't more appropriate. A firm pushback type thing. Verona has stapled in an example printout of a thick red line, crossing half the page. Square protrusions are spaced equidistantly along it, about as thick and tall as the line they jut from. The design is similar to the battlements of a castle wall. Another printed line is taped and stapled to the paper. This one is a harsh blue, reminiscent of a fence that's been knocked to the side. It's posted at an angle rather than straight up. The heads and ends of the proverbial posts are flat, parallel with a line that links them together. It's labeled as follows. Raggly line, hazard or danger, can be used to protect a place or designate a circle or area as hostile or troubled. Used for cursed items, possessed items, and vessels holding a lot of power. Means chopped off and is meant to evoke a sense of those spears that get lashed to a log to ward off cavalry and charges. Hurts or hurts power levels to push hard against this. I'm doing these notes to distract myself while waiting for Edith and Matthew, and wondering if this will be useful against curses and stuff. Palisade line. Emphasizes the parts of the herald r- r- heraldic diagrams that are really good at breaking into stuff, changing really hard materials, and penetrating protections. This gives any efforts teeth. Can be considered an emphasis of the embattled line, but sacrificing holding power for that penetrating power. A final yellow line is taped beside this description. Pointed teeth stand from the base, and between them identical slots dip into it. It's sort of like a saw. If you took two of these lines, they'd slot together perfectly, the teeth fitting in the recesses. Stapled then are two more complex diagrams, labeled, These are pretty flexible as tools. The first is a circle divided into four quadrants by black lines, the top left and bottom right in green, and the remaining two in yellow. The dividing lines have three anvil shapes standing from them on either side, alternating so the recesses between the anvils on one side match to the bases of the anvils on the other. Verona's labeled this potency lines as inner structure for guiding drawn-out potential. The second is labeled embattled field as focus of a diagram, and features a diamond cut through the center in two rectangles by an embattled border. The top left rectangle is white, and the bottom right is red. Framing the faces of the greater diamond are triangles within triangles, capped by another triangle. The cap is always right, but the top left and bottom right faces have white bordered triangles, with the red centers, with the top right and left faces have the opposite. It's very funky. Heraldry Symbols Heraldic diagrams like to feature one symbol, a repeating pattern, or they use lines and fields. 
A lot of the time, the person doing the ritual decides the power source, there's an item or whatever lying in the diagram, and the relationship between those things is what determines the focus, instead of the diagram we've been doing, with a big triangle or whatever determines that stuff. Side note, heraldic diagrams are sometimes imbalanced, facing the user. I think this ties back to the earlier bit, where the person doing the ritual manages the power source and is kind of part of the diagram. I wonder if this makes it really important to wear the right clothes and stuff, like sit upright and stuff. Mrs. Graubard showed us a bunch of pictures of complex diagrams and setups. I couldn't get any pictures, though. It looks like a nice set of heraldic diagrams is as hard to put together as the impressive rituals you'd be using it for. Symbols seem to be really, really simple ones we have ideas for. Skull, heart, diamond, sword, owl. There's not a lot of argument over what these are about. For more complex symbols, we get into what Lucy said Ray said was argumentative diagrams. Didn't get a class in these yet, but can make guesses. Big, specific symbols are like passcodes to get places, or phone numbers to dial into a specific greater power. We saw this with the Forest Riven Trail, and with Jessica's diagram. I'm guessing it's what a practitioner who works with the divine powers might use. As a demonstration, Verona's drawn three circles, each larger than the last and containing the smaller ones, but all sharing the upper edge, such that the larger circles appear to appear from behind the smaller ones. The smallest is grey, and is fractured into five big and eight small pieces, each shaped like teardrops. The effect is reminiscent of stained glass or falling rain. The next largest is white, and because of how the smaller grey circle interrupts it, it appears to be a crescent moon. The last and largest circle is black and unadorned. She's labeled it, Rain's Entrance, My Best Attempt. It's pretty good. Argumentative diagrams continued. While I'm guessing and thinking, I saw something similar in the reel of Miss Grabard's If You Get Good, You Can Use Stuff Like These Huge Rituals. Probably the distinction here is that the elementary stuff we've been doing for diagrams is super basic instructions. Then the heraldry stuff is setting things up for how the practitioner can work with the item, with protections, focusing power, and giving the big fat brushstrokes on what the power you're putting in is meant to do. Scour, reshape, lock in your work, whatever. Elementary. Draw it up, it does its own thing. It works until it has power that sometimes with conditions. The practitioner is free to leave. Maybe less impactful to have fancy clothes, gear, and equipment. But witches' hats are still fake style, in my opinion. To demonstrate, Verona doodled a stick figure witch, hat and all, next to a circle with a five-point star in it. The witch walks away from the diagram in another illustration, where the inside of the circle has burst into flames. Herald, draw it up, place whatever you're working with in the center, and it's like you got a workstation. Can add props, like we did with the doll, to dress up or set up that workstation. Here, the stick figure witch is leaning over a circle with a T-shaped cross in it. Single line hands braced against the edge of the circle, which appears to be on a table. Argumentative. My best guess, the diagram becomes your pitch to try to convince or access the greater power. For this one, the stick witch appears to be yelling into a diagram floating in front of her. The circle contains a drawing of either a smiling girl with long hair or a smiling octopus that's waving. Two echoing waves launch from the circle in the direction of the witch's yell, toward a giant black octopus creature with a pumpkin-carving-style maw and empty white eyes. One of its tendrils is reaching through the echoing waves toward the diagram and the witch. Celestial diagrams. 
No blinking idea. Maybe fancier elementary ones? This has been a fan-made reading of extra material from the web serial Pale by J.C. McRae, read by me, Vice Versailles. The original text can be found at palewebserial.wordpress.com. If you'd like to donate to the author, please go to patreon.com slash wildbow.